Yes. Um, some of you know me. I sometimes run around here with a, like a chicken with my head cut off. And something. Can you hear me? Am I good? Um, if you don't know me, my name is Christy. Um, I've learned mostly, you know, today I learned um, not to mention things when you're in a meeting with Candace because um, then she makes you talk about them. So that's that's always an interesting thing. So my new rule when meeting with Candace is silence. <laughs> so Lindsay's Lindsay Lindsay's going to be silent too. So we're just going to be silent. And it's going to be a silent meeting, Candace. I don't know what to tell you about that. Um, I I really hope this goes well because about midnight last night, after going over my notes that I've been working on literally for weeks, I scrapped the whole entire thing and started over. So, I mean, not completely over. I'm on the same verse, so that's cool. Um, so hopefully it will go well. Uh, I don't know if you brought your Bibles. If you brought your Bibles, we're going to be in Second Corinthians 10. Um, we're going to pretty much kind of park there. Uh, I have learned while I was studying this both times that God gives us, or he allows, let's call it allows because God doesn't give it uh, because sometimes it's not pleasant and that's not from God, but God allows us opportunity to learn and study what we need to be dealing with. And by giving us opportunity, I mean that, you know, there's times um, where the things I need to learn are presented to me in a way of which I don't have a choice. And we're going to be talking about taking our thoughts captive. Um, and I have been given ample opportunity to do that lately <sighs> in a variety of ways. Um this week alone, uh, I dealt with some fear. One of my best friends in the world had a massive stroke in Illinois, and uh, I wanted to get on a plane. She's fine. Turns out you can have a massive stroke and be fine. Who knew? I always thought she was kind of superwoman, and apparently she is. But uh, I mean, she has some issues, but not. I mean, she's fine. So. Uh, I had opportunity to take my thoughts captive on that because I couldn't be there. I couldn't see her. I couldn't do any of those things that I felt like I should be doing. I've known her 38 years. That should date me just a little. Um, and so that was a, a grand opportunity to take my thoughts captive. And uh, then I dropped a pallet fork on my foot and broke my big toe in two places. So uh, that was an opportunity to take my um, thoughts captive and some other things captive, for sure. But with that, uh, I got pretty fearful, right? And that's where I have a hard time taking my thoughts captive. Fear gets a hold of me. And, um, and then my thoughts can run wild and I can spiral out of control. And I can think of things that don't even exist, they are not going to happen. They're not even fathomably real. But at 2 o'clock in the morning, when my thoughts are not captive, uh, they seem real. 
and they seem uh, hard to deal with sometimes. And I hope I'm not the only one that has those uh, 2.15 in the morning things. I hope yours is at a different time. Apparently 2.15 is my time. But hopefully yours is, you know, like noon over lunch. Um, Let's pray. Holy Spirit, uh, God, just help me say what you wanted me to say and help the women to hear what you want them to hear. We're all here for you and nothing else. Please set this in our hearts so we can move forward and not have to deal with the same things we've been having to deal with and learn and grow and just put them behind us. In Jesus' name, amen. I, did, I wanted just to stand up here and scream, help me, but that seems like a not very good prayer. <laughs> but here we are. We'll just go from that. Um, Corinthians, let's talk about Corinthians a little bit because that's where we're at. And I like a little bit of backstory, a little bit of fact, a little bit of what's going on in the world when we get to this because we're in chapter 10 and there's a first Corinthians in front of the second Corinthians. So the church was planted in Corinth in about 50, 51 AD. And Paul writes two letters to them. He writes the first letter in about 56 AD. And, um, in the first letter, he speaks of some problems with the church, answers some question, talks about the resurrection and gives some instructions. He, um, then he visits the church then, in a nutshell, they don't really behave the way Paul wants them to. So he writes a second letter, which is a little bit more severe. Turns out we don't really have a copy of that letter, but we do know it was more severe. Um, then, um, in like, that was like the end of 56 AD. And then in the beginning of 57 AD, he um, travels to Corinth. And actually, he ends up, I can't say the beginning of 57, but he ends up spending the winter in Corinth. So that tells me that Corinth's pretty important, right? Because he's been there twice. I don't know that I really want Paul coming to my house twice. Seems like that may not be a good thing. But maybe there were people there he loved and, and things like that. Maybe it wasn't all, uh, you know, bad. Um, so you get into second Corinthians then where we're going to be chapters one through seven kind of describe Paul's issues with the Corinthians and they describe his ministry and chapters eight and nine talk a lot about giving. Uh, if you want to read some cool, I love giving serving is my favorite thing in the world. So, you know, read chapters eight and nine because it talks about giving and, uh, how to, he encourages us to give freely and um, speaks of how cheerful giving affects our lives and our personal ministry, which is always a good thing to be affected because it affects them in good ways. Um, chapters 10 through 13, Paul speaks about false apostles and what to do with them. So it, it's a, it's a, he's a little disgruntled in chapter 10 starting out. Uh, chapters 12 and 13 are kind of a stern warning, kind of related to that. But anyway, that's the nutshell of the Corinthians. I think in today's society, in today's world in which we are, I think we're having a lot of the same problems. I think maybe the big C church 
not us as in particular people, um, but the big C church is probably not behaving the way Paul would want. And I sometimes wonder what kind of letter we would get from him. Hopefully it wouldn't get lost. In, <laughs> hopefully it wouldn't get lost in the mail, but I think it would probably be stern. When you look around and you look at you look at the big C church, are we doing all the things he asked of the Corinthians? Are we behaving in that way? Are we giving generously with a cheerful heart? Or are we picking and choosing? Are we deciding who gets the benefit of what we give? Who deserves this? Who deserves that? What that looks like? We're not the judge of that. And I think that's part of the problems that Paul had with with the Corinthians. And I think that's one of the problems he would have with us too. In the first nine chapters of Corinthians, he was um, pretty kind and encouraging and um, when he starts out chapter 10, he's a little more defensive and it seems a little more irritated because in the, in the previous chapters, um, there were some false apostles and basically they were talking crap. And um, can I say that? I just did. Sorry. Anyway, <laughs> they were talking crap about and twisting things that Paul had previously said and he's he's a little irritated when he starts out chapter 10 and we're going to kind of go through it verse by verse um just for six verses but we're going to kind of go through it verse by verse so i have a uh what am i reading out of amplified it's new it's big print i can see uh didn't have any marks in it before today so that's kind of cool for me i love a new bible um anyway verse 10 says now i Paul urged you by the gentleness, and that word in the Aramaic means peace. Just so you know, not only gentle, peace. I urge you by the peace and graciousness of Christ. I, who am meek, so they say, when, when with you face to face, but bold, outspoken and fearless, toward you when absent. And... Um, he goes on in verse 2 and says, I ask that when I do come, I will not be driven to the boldness that I intended to show towards those few who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh like men without the spirit. And really what he's saying there, I probably should have read that in a different translation. In the Passion Translation, it says, verse 2 says, Now I plead with you that when I come, don't force me to take a hard line with you, which I am willing to do by daring to confront those who mistakenly believe that we are living by the standards of the world, not by the Spirit's wisdom and power. So he's like, I dare you, but don't make me come down there. Don't make me come down there because when I come down there, I'm going to be mad and I'm going to open a big can of whoop arse because you're not listening. You're talking crap. You're doing a lot of things that you shouldn't be doing. And he is willing to go down there and drop the hammer and use his righteous authority given to him by Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And when he, when Paul gets irritated, I think we should pay attention. Because I don't, he's known as, it says right here, he's known as uh, meek and gentle and gracious. So when he's irritated, that's something they're doing wrong. And that's something we need to take notice of. Right? So verse 3, 
it says, for though we walk in the flesh, as mortal men, we are not of the flesh, right? There's a big difference there. We are walking in the flesh, but we are not of the flesh. And we're going to come back to that a couple times. Um, It says, for though we walk in the flesh as mortal men, we are not carrying on our spirit, our warfare according to the flesh and using the weapons of man. So it says we are not, we are in the flesh, not of the flesh. We are in a temporal body, but when we give our life to Jesus, we are not of our flesh because we have the Holy Spirit living within us and we in him. So what that means is, yeah, we have our body for while we're here, but this isn't, this isn't the end game. Here's not the end game at all. Um, I mean, we get heaven, right? If we walk in him and we walk with him and he dwells within us, we get heaven, but then we get the new Jerusalem, even on top of that, right? That's the end game. This mortal body, I'm pretty sure I'm going to skid into the end falling apart because I don't take very good care of it sometimes, but, um, the goal is, is not the temporal body. It's not to walk in the flesh. And it says our weapons, oh wait, wrong one. It says our, our warfare according to the flesh are not carrying on our warfare according to the flesh and using the weapons of man. So that also tells us that, uh, it's warfare. It's spiritual warfare because it's not of the flesh. So do you know the difference between the body, obviously, um, and then the spirit and the soul. Do you know the difference between those? I'm not very good at this, but I'm going to do my best with the descriptions, okay? The body, obviously, our flesh. So that's, we've referred to that. And then our soul is basically, in Greek, it's a word psyche, which, you know, is psyche, um, which means the breath of life. Our soul is our humanity. It's our mind, our will, and our emotions by which we perceive, reflect, feel, and desire. You may say that again because it got me when I read it the first time. It's our mind, our will, and our emotions by which we perceive, reflect, feel, and desire. So I'm pretty sure all of those places are places I need to control that I don't control very well sometimes. Um, And then our spirit, again, is the Greek word pneuma, but it means breath. But it is a different kind of breath. It's a new life principle bestowed on man by God. It's our deeper connection with God. It's a gift that Christ gave us through his death for our sins and his resurrection and ascension to heaven. So our spirit is only through God, right? So when we accept God and we give our life to Jesus, then the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us, right? So that's our spirit, and that's guided by God, whereas our soul is us. Does that make sense? Or at least that's how I read Am I right? Is that correct? I'm looking at Cody because I'm like, is that right? Did I do that right? Because I really looked at that a 100,000 different ways. So for me, I'm here. I'll just show you because I'm like this. See this big circle? Body, medium circle, soul, little circle spirit, right? Which I guess, you know, it should be a big circle spirit because God is bigger than the boogeyman. But um, that's a story for a different day. Um, 
So that's the difference there. So when we're fighting a spiritual battle, like he says in verse 3, spiritual warfare, Paul uses military terms a lot, just so you know, a lot of military terms in Paul's letters and writings. Um, And it's warfare. It's spiritual and it's warfare. So the way to fight that battle or that war is God, right? That's the, that's the best way to fight that battle. If we fight it with our soul, what are we going to do? We're going to end up in our mind, our will, and our emotions overthinking everything at 2 a.m. And just so you know, it does not help to get up any ice cream at 2 a.m. It does not make it go away. I try, though. I continue to try. But it doesn't, doesn't make it go away. So Satan, we're, we're fighting uh, principalities and, and we're fighting Satan. That's who we're fighting. We're fighting him and him wanting to um, undermine our faith and our spirit and impede our progress in God's will. John 10.10 says the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. It's It's his only goal. Kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to kill physically, but mostly he's after your mind. Because if he can get your mind then he can control everything else, right? So that's where we have to, uh, we really have to pay attention to this spiritual warfare because, (sighs) I'm sorry, she's cute. (laughs) She's mine. Well, not really mine. I get to, I get to pet her and send her home. Um, She's that kind of mine. (laughs) Um, And the thing about, sorry, sidetracked. Look, look, a chicken. Um, Anyway, uh, so Satan will do anything to undermine our faith. And here's the deal with Satan, right? Like he's trying to get a foothold wherever he can. He's trying to get in wherever he can. So in order for that not to be, not to happen, we have to be out. We have to be sold out to Jesus. If we're sold out, if we're not sold out to Jesus, we can still be bought by the devil. Right? So if you're not entirely sold out, that means you're still for sale. Does that make sense? Everybody's just looking at me, and I thought that was huge. <laughs> like, I thought that was a big one. <laughs> oh, okay. Out your amen. For me, that was a big deal because I was like, oh, well, I think I'm sold out for Jesus. But, but, but. <laughs> Oh, but that looks good, but this might be all right, but, oh, that'll be okay. No, because that's the devil buying you piece by piece. And eventually, when he buys you piece by piece, who has less of you? Jesus. So you have to be completely sold out. Body, soul, spirit. Okay, on to number four. The weapons of our warfare are not physical, weapons of flesh and blood. Our weapons are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses, fortresses, strongholds. Um, it says our weapons are not physical. They're not flesh and blood. So that goes back to our spirit, right? What are we going to fight with? If we're not fighting with flesh and blood, if I don't have my 
hammer out, whacking somebody. I'm not throat punching anybody. I did give that up. That's cool. Uh, you're not. So what are our weapons then? And where do they come from? And what does that look like? Well, we're going to talk about it a little bit in depth later, more in depth later. But our weapons are are given to us by God because it says they're divinely powerful. So that means divinely means they're from God. And what does God give us? He gives us armor. And there's power in that armor. There's anointing in that armor. There's authority in that armor. That's what God gives us to fight these battles that aren't flesh and blood. Because if we were fighting flesh and blood, sure, somebody can walk up and punch me and I could fall over. I can fight those kind of battles, not well. I could fight them better when I was young, not that I needed to, but um, Candace learned uh, quickly that I'm not much of a fighter. I went to kickboxing with Candace, and Pastor Lynette once broke my foot <laughs> right out of the chute. First time, broken foot. So I'm not much of a fighter. I can't fight physically either, but I can fight with what God gives me. Because it's divinely, purposefully, intentionally for me to fight with. That's its purpose. Um, The word fortresses right there in the Aramaic means rebellious castles. Well, that gives a whole new meaning to it, doesn't it? Rebellious castles. So it's not just a fortress. I'm choosing I am choosing to be rebellious against the word and will of God to build that fortress. Well, that doesn't seem like something I want to do, but that's how we do it. The uh, Hebrew word means bunker or fort. And where are these strongholds? Where are these, where are these rebellious castles? They're in your mind. They're in your life. They're in your mind. Most of them. I mean, we have other things. We have sickness and we have things like that that are physical battles that we're fighting. That's not what we're talking about today. So for today, they're in your mind. Welcome to Christian land. Today, they're in your mind. Um, Verse 5. We are destroying sophisticated arguments And every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ. So we are destroying sophisticated arguments. Why are they sophisticated? Because the devil's smart. He knows, he knows the Bible. He knows the word. He knows God. Right? So, uh, excuse me for a second. My nose keeps running. Um, so not only are we fighting arguments, not only are we fighting things that happen in the world, social media, whatever, this, that, and the other, everybody's highlight reel. Let's fight that one. Um, we're, we're fighting sophisticated arguments. And not only are we fighting them, we're destroying them. So fighting means I have a chance of losing, right? Destroying 
means I can't lose. And what makes you not be able to lose? Having God, having the spirit. You're fighting this battle from your spirit with the Holy Spirit with God. So you're destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. Anything we give more authority to, even for a minute, even for a second, even for a fleeting glimpse, anything we give more authority to than the truth of God, people's opinions, which frankly, people's opinions of you are none of your business. Just so you know, when I learned that, I was like, oh, (laughs) that's helpful because I thought I was supposed to care about that. You don't have to care about that. Unless, of course, you're doing something wrong, then you have to care about it, but... People's opinions are none of your business. Societal norms, faulty descriptions or trains of thought that defy the word of God. Stinking thinking. We are fighting and destroying stinking thinking. And how do we do that? We take that captive, whatever that thought is. If if you watch me in my real life, which I wouldn't recommend, but if you watch me in my real life... When things happen or somebody says something, and my daughter can probably attest to it, I will literally, I won't say anything, but I will literally do this. I do it all the time. And you know what that means? That means stop. I am not picking that up. That was not for me. That was not from God. Whatever that is, when somebody comes at me or um, speaks something over me or anything, I feel like I'm not enough. For years, I felt like I was not enough. And I've just, I've just started being able to do that when I go, oh, Christy, you should be better. Well, I should be better for sure. But I, so I I do that all the time. It just stop. And sometimes in my head, I sing, stop in the name of love, because that's what you stop those with, right? God's love. When all those things come at you, stop. Because once you stop it, you can take it captive, right? Um, There are good thoughts too, don't get me wrong. Again, that's not what we're talking about here. Um, Most of my thoughts that cause me a problem boil down to fear of some form. They make me afraid. They make me afraid of... They make me afraid of not being good enough. They make me afraid of what the world looks like for them. They make me afraid of anything, really. I can, I can be afraid of anything, honestly, at 2 a.m. Um, the dark, for one. I spend about three quarters of my life sleeping with the light on because at 2 a.m. when I wake up, it's dark, and then I get afraid because my thoughts are out of control and I'm circling in this spiral. So, you know, I sleep with the nightlight most of my days. Um, so those thoughts, we are to take captive. Again, captive is a, is a war term. It's a military term. It means uh, it's a Greek word that I cannot say. It's ekmalautizo. I I can't. I you know what? I read them. I'm a word nerd. Word nerd. Any word I I, I look everything up. 
Oh, the word the. Let me look that one up in the Greek, see if it means something different today. I am a word nerd. But I don't have to say them. I just have to read them on my head. It doesn't matter what they sound like when they're... So anyway, I get up here and I don't know how to say it. So I don't know how to say it. Anyway, it means captive in the Greek means to lead away or to bring under control. Right? Which makes sense. That's what you would think captive means. Right? So we are to take, I keep losing my place, all those thoughts that go against God's purpose, um, captive. And not only are we supposed to take them captive, like I can lock things up. I can lock things up in my brain, right? Okay, tight, captive, shoo, shoo. But that's not what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to take it captive according to my judgment. We're supposed to take it captive to the obedience of Christ. Okay, that gives a different connotation to it, right? Because I can take you captive, I can take my thoughts captive, seems easy, but not only do I have to take it to a captive, I have to make it be obedient, right? So you're captive and obedient at this point. And what is obedience? Submission. Actually, uh, it, it means attentive hearkening. I had to look that up. It's submission. Attentive submission to the truth of Christ. Not us. Not our truth. Not what we think. To the truth of Christ. Um, in one of my Bibles, I don't know which one. There was a, down at the Life Principles, it's a Life Principle Bible. I think it's an NASB, but whatever, it doesn't matter. There is a, a, a notation that says, a thought reaps an action, an action reaps a habit, a habit reaps your character, and your character reaps your destiny. <laughs> a thought reaps an action, an action reaps a habit, a habit reaps your character, and your character reaps your destiny. So, through a chain of events, what I am thinking absolutely controls my destiny. There are other steps in between there. When I t- start taking my thoughts captive, and putting them under obedience, making them submit, then that becomes a habit. Right? Because I've got my thought, I've now got my action, taking it captive, and now I have a habit of stop in the name of love. There's a reason I don't sing. Um, And that reaps my character. Right? My character, not my reputation. My reputation is your opinion of me. And again, I don't have to care about that. My character, I have to care about because my character reaps my destiny. And there's only two choices in destiny. I hope that's not a news flash for anybody. (laughs) Only two choices, right? There's not a gray area, not an in-between, two choices. Every thought, every action, Every habit, you are choosing something. 
And there's two choices. You are choosing God or you're choosing Satan with every thought. That got me. I had to sit on that one for a minute. I was like, ooh. So, verse 6. Being ready to punish every act of disobedience when your own obedience as a church is complete. And here he's talking to the Corinthians. It's a little hard to understand when you try to apply that to yourself. So I'm going to explain it a little bit. He's actually talking to the Corinthians, right? And what he's talking about is identifying and punishing the false prophets. But what he says is, when your own obedience as a church, who's the church? We're the church. When your own obedience is complete. So when are you going to be able to fight this spiritual battle? When your own obedience is in line with God so you can identify the false prophets. When you take your thoughts captive and the thoughts that don't belong, you give a big to. So that's why it's so important, right? Because if you can't identify the thoughts that aren't good, if you don't have them captive and taking them to submission, what are you choosing? Right? Not intentionally. I don't intentionally choose Satan. Well, is eating ice cream at 2 a.m. bad? <laughs> is that a sin? Is that gluttony? Because, okay. <laughs> I'm going to have to sit on that one for a minute, I think. But for the purpose of right now, um, we'll go with that. One of the things I read, uh, and I don't know who, I hate it when I remember things and I don't know who did it because I don't want to plagiarize anybody and I don't want to take words that are somebody else's. But I read, you cannot lead where you haven't been. And that's kind of what he's saying here, right? When your own obedience is complete, then you can be ready to punish. Not that I want to punish anybody, but you, you can't lead where you haven't been. So if you haven't learned it, if you haven't dealt with it, if you haven't put it under obedience and submission, you can't teach anybody else. You can't lead anybody else. And I don't care who you are. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what your walk has been, where you have been, what you have done, what you haven't done. I don't care about any of those. You're leading somebody. And you're only leading them one of two places. Every move you make is being watched by somebody somewhere. You're leading somebody with everything you do. Sorry, that was a little bit of a soapbox. Um, the Passion Translation. I love the Passion Translation. And... Um, It, it says it differently, so I'm going to read the Passion, Passion Translation. I'm just going to read verses 3 through 6, though, because in the Greek, verses 3 through 6 were written. Did I say this already? They were written as one sentence. So they weren't broke down. They weren't anything else. It was 3 through 6 were one sentence in the original Greek. 
So I'm going to read 3 through 6 in the Passion Translation, which is a whole lot smaller. Wow. Uh, For although we live in the natural realm, we don't wage a military campaign employing human weapons, using manipulation to achieve our aims. Instead, our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power, spirit, divine, with divine power, I got to stop that because now I don't know where I'm at. Oh, are energized with divine power to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. Because Satan's sneaky, right? He's hiding. Well, not anymore. Pretty sure he's out braiding himself around and we just let it. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. Since we are armed with such dynamic weaponry, we stand ready to punish. That also means court-martial. We stand ready to punish any trace of rebellion as soon as you choose complete obedience. So there's your choice again, right? As soon as you choose complete obedience. I love the Passion Translation. Because it's like a story, right? It's like a little love story from God. Anyway. So where do we go from here? He told us what to do. How do we do it? What's it look like? I am nosy, so I googled. How many thoughts do we have a day? Well, the internet, the all-knowing internet, was not all-knowing because it says between 6,000 and 70,000. Okay, good talk. <laughs> right, depends on what that looks like in your in your own little world, I suppose. Um, I'm pretty sure I had seventy thousand thoughts on the thirty minute drive here. <laughs> All about was I going to get this? Was I going to get this dialed? Um, but another very astonishing fact that I found on the internet was 70 to 80% of those thoughts are negative. More so in women. And why are they negative more so of negative in women? Because of fear. Because like I said, it all goes back to fear, one way or another. Not all, but it all a lot of it goes back to fear. So, if you have 50,000 thoughts a day, and 70 or 80%, I went with 80, are negative. Of your 50,000 thoughts, 40,000 are negative. That's only 10,000 good thoughts a day. I didn't think I was a negative person, but apparently my brain is. And I learned 90 to 95% of our thoughts are repetitive from the day before. And why are they repetitive from the day before? Because we didn't take them captive. We didn't make them obedient and submit to God. So we're still thinking about them. They still have control of us. We don't have control of them. They have control of us. So, where do all your thoughts come from? Uh... (laughs) Social media is a big one these days. 
right? Everybody's highlight reel. Um, I'm sorry. Nobody lives a highlight reel. If they're not being honest and truthful on their social media, please get rid of them. Because they just make you feel like a terrible human. Right? Look at her. She's got all her stuff together. No, she don't. No, she don't. She got up. She forgot to take her makeup off the night before. She got up looking like a scarecrow just like the rest of us. She don't have it all together. Anyway, there's my soapbox on that. I got to get off some of my soapboxes. So you got social media. And social media can be good, too. I frankly learn a lot on TikTok. You got to research it some, but I do love a good TikTok at 2 a.m. Um, although, I'm, where'd she go? I'm going to rat her out. Can I rat you out? It doesn't matter. Yeah. She, um, my daughter Emma, in case you don't know, granddaughter Loretta, they're both cute, but the small one really is cute. Um, she just deleted her TikTok. Because, well, why did she delete her TikTok? Because it made her fearful. I said, my TikTok is full of food. (laughs) So, So, not much fearful on food. But she deleted her TikTok because it made her fearful. So, that is, I'm really proud of you. That is taking control of those thoughts, making them submit, and be obedient. And if you have to... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so there's the social media. There's uh, words and opinions of others. There's words and opinions above the others. There's words and opinions we speak to ourselves. Do you know how many times in the last week I have said... Stupid hurts. And what does that do in my brain? Correct. Right. And I wasn't stupid for drop well. I wasn't stupid for dropping a pallet fork on my foot. It just happened in the blink of an eye, literally. And as I, I was like, oh, that's going to hurt. But, but I don't know how many times I've said it in the last week. So what we say about ourselves, you get your thoughts from um, TV, books, driving down the road, whatever. Um, I can think about a lot of things. Yaks milk's pink, you know? That's a good thought, but I don't know where it came from. So we don't know where our thoughts come from all the time. They just they just come. So, But the Bible tells us, and I should have written it down, and I did not, um, to guard our ear gates and our eye gates. What we let in is a choice. What we let in, hear that again, what we let in is a choice. You get to choose. And in that choice, what you are letting in is one of two choices, right? Still the same two choices we've had from the beginning. What you're letting in is either God or Satan. Um, so I came up with some things 
that I think are helpful to figure all this out. And the first thing that I think is helpful to help us do this list of things we have to do, right? Recognize our thoughts, take them captive, make them submissive, is knowing our identity. God put you here with an identity and a purpose. Where's my little, where's my little roller skaters? Is she, oh, there she is. Des. Go do your job. (laughs) Wow. That's it. Come here, Des. So this is a piece of paper. I found it on the internet. I actually have one of my own that I had to make in some of my schooling. And it's, uh, it is a hundred identity truths in the Bible. So make sure everybody gets one of those, would you? And then everybody can have one of these too. And uh, I'm a sticker girl. Um, so I made these little stickers that say I am. With, they don't have all 100 on it, but they're cute and lovely. And um, I do this with my stickers. I put them on my Bible. Um, if you're going to put one on your Bible that says shut your pie hole, don't pull that out in a good old Southern Baptist church because they are casting the demons right out of you. Like, it has meaning, it's fine, shut your pie hole, let God talk. I was on a trip with a bunch of women to Texas, and we eat pie. Like, for me, it's a good thing, but wow, that can offend some people in a hurry. Uh, will you hand these out? Thank you. So everybody gets a sticker. Stick it wherever you want. Stick it on your forehead, stick it on your mirror, stick it on somebody else's forehead so you can read it. I don't care. I have a bunch of them. Take more than one if you want, however that works out for you. So know your identity. And what that does is if you know your identity in Christ, when one of those er, thoughts comes in, you can replace it. So I am not stupid. I'm beloved. I am not stupid. I'm a co-heir with Christ. Do you know what a co-heir means? It means we're the same as, we're the same as Christ. We get the same inheritance Jesus gets. It was a side note. That one was for free. Um, Romans 5 through 17 in the voice translation says this, and I really liked it about identity. If you live your life, if you live your life animated by the flesh, back to our body, our flesh, namely your fallen and corrupt nature, which is what our flesh is, then your mind, where's your mind? In your soul is focused on the matters of the flesh. But if you live your life animated by the spirit, God, namely God's indwelling presence, then your focus is on the work of the spirit. A mind focused on the flesh is doomed to death, but a mind focused on the spirit will find full life and complete peace. You see, a mind focused on the flesh is declaring war against God. You know that, right, by your choice? So if you're following your flesh, you're making a choice. You only got two. You're declaring war against God. It defies the authority of God's law and is incapable of following his path. So it is clear that God takes no pleasure in those who live oriented to the flesh. But you do not live in the flesh. You live in the spirit, assuming, of course, the spirit of God lives inside you. And if you've accepted Jesus Christ, he does. And if you haven't, we will totally help you out with that later. I promise. Um, The truth is that anyone who does not have the spirit of the anointed living within them does not belong to God. Because who purchased them? The devil. 
If the anointed one lives within you, even though the body is as good as dead because of the effects of sin, the spirit is infusing you with life that you are right with God. If the spirit of the one who resurrected Jesus from the dead lives inside you, then you can be sure that he who raised him will cast the light of life into your mortal bodies through the life-giving power of the spirit residing inside you. So my brothers and sisters, you owe the flesh nothing. You hear that one loud and clear? You owe your flesh nothing. You're supposed to take good care of it, but. You do not need to live according to its ways, so abandon its oppressive regime. For if your life is just about satisfying the impulses of your sinful nature, then prepare to die. But if you have invited the Spirit to destroy those selfish desires, you will experience life. If the Spirit of God is leading you, then take comfort in knowing you are his children. What are you? You're a co-heir with Christ. You see, you have not received a spirit that returns you to slavery, so you have nothing to fear. The spirit you have received adopts you and welcomes you into God's own family. Co-heir with Christ. That is why we call out to him, Abba, Father, as we would address a, would address a loving daddy. Through that prayer, God's spirit confirms in our spirit, God's spirit, our spirit, That we are his children. If we are God's children, that means we are his heirs along with the anointed, set to inherit everything that is his. If we share his sufferings, we know that we will ultimately share his glory. The Bible um, uses the terms in him, in Jesus Christ, in the Lord close to 200 times. That's a lot of times that he declares that we are in him, that in him we can, in him we are beloved, in him we are conquerors, in him, 200 times. He tells us what good that does for us. And it says with him, we are crucified with him, died with him, buried with him, made alive with him, raised with him, and seated with him almost 50 times. So 250 times in the Bible, it tells you who you are in him. You know what that tells you? It tells you you ain't nothing because you're making the choice, right? Satan got no control on you because you are in him, with him. That is our identity when we give and submit our lives to his authority. I want you to get this fact. Here's a fact I want you to get. God looks at our spirit, not our soul and body. He doesn't, he doesn't see us through the blood of Jesus, which is a great thing. He sent Jesus here for us, but he doesn't see us through the blood of Jesus. He sees us as he created us. Does that make sense? So he doesn't see us through our sin. It's forgotten. No record of it. He doesn't see us through those things. He sees us through our identity in which he called us for our purpose. I'm trying to hurry. I didn't know. Um, Joe McIntyre, I'm also a book girl. With being a word girl, I'm a book girl. And I I did bring some books. Uh, Joe McIntyre, who I believe everybody should read this book because I love Joe McIntyre. 
says in this book, Who We Are in Christ, ordered on Amazon, great book. He says, if we don't know who we are, we do all that we do to try to become something. We try, we will try to do so we can become. If we know who we are, if we know our identity, then we find our doing flowing out of our awareness that we are created in Christ for good works. We are enabled to live the Christian life because of what God has already done for us in Christ. Those 250 times in the Bible that tell us our identity allows us to stop doing things to become something. Because we are already something. Oh. Oh. Well, you'll have that. So, number two. I'm going to hurry. I really am. Know the fight. Know what you're fighting. Know that it's a spiritual battle. You're fighting with spiritual weapons. And better yet, know the weapons. So we're going to look at the weapons, just so that we're clear of what the weapons are. The armor of God. Ephesians 5.22, which I find interesting, and you'll find out why in a minute. But, oh no, ha, 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 sorry. Uh, Ephesians 6.14, sorry. Don't know what I was thinking there. Lost. So stand firm and hold your ground, having tightened the wide belt, the wide band, which is the belt of truth. And this is the Amplified Bible again. So it says, the belt of truth is personal integrity and moral courage. So tighten your belt of truth around your waist. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, which in parentheses is an upright heart. And having strapped to your feet the gospel of peace in preparation to face the enemy with firm-rooted stability and readiness produced by the good news. Above all, lift the protective shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the helmet of salvation, that makes sense, and the sword of God, which is the word of truth. So that's what he gives us. That's our armor. That's what we take into battle. We take the truth. We take the breastplate of righteousness. We take the gospel of peace. We take the helmet of the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's what you're fighting your battles with. Make sense? Got that? I want to talk about the sword of the spirit for just a minute. Um, the word of God. It is the only offensive weapon in our arsenal. Everything else is defensive. But the word of God is offensive. Which means we're supposed to take that and use that in our daily life. We're supposed to use it all. But that puts us on the offense. So... Thought, captivity, sword of truth, done. 
I'm stupid. Swore to truth. I'm beloved. Thoughts, actions, habits, character, destiny. The next two are a little bit harder for me. Ah, I don't know the harder is the right word. Number three, I went with repentance. Um, and I went with repentance because I think it's a forgotten, not forgotten, but I don't think it's used as much as it should be. So when I have a thought, I'm not enough, I'm actually sinning against God. Right? That thought does not line up with God's truth. Therefore, it's a sin. What do I do with that? I repent from it. Because if I sin, then I need to repent. Repentance is confessing to ourselves, to others, or to God that our thoughts are stinking thinking. And after you repent, you need forgiveness. So forgive others. Along with repentance comes forgive. I think it's all in the same thing. Um, forgive others. You're not forgiving them for them. You're forgiving them for you. But mostly forgive yourself. And here's the one that gets hard. Forgive God. How often do we blame God for something that happened in our life? God, why'd you let that happen? Um, well, maybe your stinking thinking made that happen. So forgive God. But more importantly, when you repent, make sure you allow yourself to accept God's forgiveness. Because I can repent. God's sure to forgive me. Throws it as far as the east is from the west. But what do I do? Dangle that right here. Because again, now what? You're not good enough. So you have to allow God to forgive you. And that's hard for me because I know some of the stuff I did was stupid. Knew better. Did it anyway. But he's just and he loves us and he forgives us anyway. I have this little scenario that I talk about. It's the grace and mercy sandwich. Um, grace goes before you. You were saved by grace. So grace goes before you until you do something stupid, you sin. You might not even know it's a sin at the time. Like if you haven't learned all the things yet, you don't know. So you sin. And what happens when you sin? You've now sinned against God and you're 180 degrees from him, right? So what's behind you? What's the Bible say follows you? Mercy. What did David have to do with mercy? He had to beg for mercy, right? So now you're 180 degrees because you've sinned. You're 180 degrees from God, and you're walking into mercy. And mercy follows you everywhere. So you repent. You forgive. You allow God to forgive you. Mercy. That's what mercy is. And then you turn back, and you're in grace. And that little sandwich is with you everywhere. No matter what you do, no matter how it goes that day, you're in that little sandwich. 
And I tell you what, I beg for mercy a lot some days. I've repented a lot some days. Driving down the road. Good Lord, that makes me have to repent a lot just driving down the road. I can't do it. True repentance involves a conscious decision both to turn away from sin, selfishness, and rebellion, and turn toward God. Does that make sense? So, sin, mercy, repent, back to God. I don't know. I'm a visual person. It works for me. Acts 3.19 says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ may and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom him of whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring back into grace all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Repentance. Take it serious. You'll feel better. You really will. Transformation. Let's talk about transformation. If you've been here listening to Pastor Darren, you've heard transformation, which is one of the reasons I changed my message because I was going to say a lot of the same things he said. Anyway, long story short, transformation. That's what I got as number four. Romans 12, 2 says, do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. What are you changing? The way you think. Thoughts. Captive. Obedience and submission. Same thing. He tells us, I don't know how many times in the Bible he tells us, but he tells us a lot. So let's go to fear. Back to fear for a minute. Because it's where I get hung up. So it's what I'm going to talk about. The Bible tells us like 365 times not to fear. Faith and fear are very similar in the aspect that both of them are believing something we can't see. Right? When you're fearful of something, chances are it hasn't come to pass. You're afraid of the future. You're afraid of what people think of you. You're afraid of you're afraid of 100,000 things that are not right in front of you. You cannot see them. So if you're going to choose to be afraid of fear, captive, choose to have faith. Go to the word. Study the word. Faith and fear cannot exist in the same brain space. You have to choose what you're going to let be in there. It's your choice. But you have to choose something. You have to choose one of the two, faith or fear. Dr. Caroline Leaf, haha. Do you guys know who Caroline Leaf is? If you don't know who she is, learn who she is. She is basically a neuroscientist that uses God. Not uses God. I mean, God clearly does it. But she takes neuroscience and brain activity, thoughts and all the things, clarifies it through God, 
and tells you, switch your brain on. She has a lot of books, but I happen to like this one. Um, she tells you in that book, there's a, a 21 day brain detox and it's about taking your thoughts captive. I recommend it, highly recommend it to anyone. I've done it. I don't even need the book to do it anymore. That's how many times I've done it. Anyway, Dr. Caroline Leaf says, our brain does not control us. We control our brain through our thinking and our choosing. So you're in control of your thoughts. You're choosing by your thinking and your choosing. You're controlling your brain. I don't have that transformed yet. I'm just going to be honest. I'm working on it. I'm still exercising my brain. Like, well, I'm not exercising my body right now because toe hurts. But, uh, like, you have to exercise your body. You have to exercise your brain. you got to get your mind in shape. Because it goes from thoughts to actions to habits to character to destiny. you got to get your mind in shape. Information is the pouring of knowledge into a structured being. Transformation is the complete remaking of the structured being into something new. Like when we're born again with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus, we are transformed into something new. I don't really want information anymore. I want transformation. Every day. I want a little transformation every day. Second Timothy says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Some versions say self-control. And that brings me to my last point of transformation. It all goes back to the spirit aligning with the Holy Spirit. Um, in another book, Scott McDermott says, the scriptures call us to walk in the spirit. Tells us that in 1 Corinthians 14, 15. Pray in the spirit, Galatians 5, 15, 5 16. And bear the fruit of the spirit, Galatians 5, 22. All of these have a great deal to do with issues of character. We're back to the character. And what does your character control? Your destiny. So I'm going to tell you what the fruits of the Spirit are. And then I'm going to tell you something really exciting. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, the result of His presence within us, Spirit, right? Back to the Spirit, His presence within us, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of these things I just talked about are covered by those fruits of the Spirit. The one I have the hardest time with, self-control. It's the one that gets me. It's the reason I eat ice cream at 2 a.m. Self-control. I could have an apple. I don't want to. It's 2 a.m. and my mind's crazy. I want ice cream. Self-control. If I had more self-control, I'd fit my pants. 
So with that being said, I think I get the honor. Do I get the honor of saying, can I tell them? Pastor Darren will be here next month teaching on the fruits of the spirit. Right? Was anybody in the barn when he did the nine week series on fruits of the spirit? Phenomenal. So come next month to hear about the fruits of the spirit from our very own pastor Darren. I'm so excited. I can't wait. Like you would not believe how excited I am about that. Um, I think I'm done sort of, but here's the deal. At the end of the day, I have to focus on something. Stop only gets me so far. And the thing I've been focused on lately is what thoughts would the person that I want to be be allowing? Because I don't necessarily want to be the old Christie. I'm looking for transformation. Every minute of every day, I'm looking for transformation. So what would that new person allow? What would that new person think? What dominates my thinking will reveal itself in my behavior, which goes back to my character. And I have to learn to control my thoughts before I can control my behavior. And I would like to say that's all just for me. I would like to say that's all just for me to get to heaven and the new Jerusalem. It's not. It's not for me. It's for her. Because anything, any breakthrough I have, any breakthrough you have, any breakthrough you have is a blessing to the next generation. So it's not for you at all. So here's what I would like. I don't know how you feel about it. Do what you want, I suppose. But I have some ladies that are willing that are willing to pray for you. Because I guarantee you, you're fighting fear of something. There is something that you need to lay down. There are thoughts you need to take captive and you're struggling on your own. And we have wonderful women, Gina. Um, I got some back there controlling sound and video, but maybe shut me off if you need to. But I would like any of you that would like prayer, Cody, come on up. Um, and please don't act like you don't need it. I'm sorry. Don't do it. Cause I will chase you down and it's not going to be fun and it's going to hurt. Don't make me hurt. I know you all have something. Nobody here is going to speak a word of it, but it's time. It's time to take control of these things that have been controlling us for so long. Right? So gather what you need prayed for and come on up. And these ladies are going to pray for you. Thank you.